Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And before we get started, we're going to welcome some of our new Patreons. Oh. You ready? Let's go. Jessica Walton. Okay. Chelsea Jane Hecker. Right on. Melissa Emerson. Hell yeah. Taylor Blevins. Whoa. Trevor Manley. Okay. Kelsey Mullen. That's a dude, Trevor. Yeah. We got a dude in the house. For like every 20, we have like one guy, and I love What's it. Up? I cool. appreciate cool. it. Uh, Kelsey Mullins. Dope. And Megan Miller. Hell yes. Okay, now I want to I wanna share that we have been getting new reviews, a lot of new reviews. A lot of people are fans of me. <laughs> I am so thankful for all of the new reviews. Shocked. It's so funny because I get an email in the morning that says, you have a new review or you have two new reviews, and they usually hit my inbox at like 7 a.m. And you get anxiety. And I get anxiety because I literally open it and I'm like, please be good, please be good, please be good. And then when I see it's five stars, I'm like, oh, thank God. But I wanted to read this one because I thought it was kind of funny. And I usually send them to Austin in the morning so have that I he can make one? up to him too. But I haven't heard this one. No. And I just know you'll appreciate it, okay? So it's a five-star review, and it says, I love this podcast. I wasn't fully invested in true crime until I started listening to Mama Mystery, and now I can't get enough. So much so that I became a patron and highly anticipate when a new episode will be released. I also love Austin. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) His comic relief is a staple, and Kelly and his banter with each other is gold. Thanks. Please don't find a new co-host. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. They're pleading. That's so great. Which leads me to... Thank you for that review. Yeah. We appreciate reviews. Reviews are great, and they help us... uh, They help us grow. They help us grow. And subscribe. Did you know that? That's a big factor. If you don't know that, like subscribing helps... I didn't, it helps significantly with like iTunes getting you seen for podcasts. Really? I didn't know that. Well, so if you could subscribe, that'd be great. So I knew you could subscribe, but I don't think there's a way to see how many subscribers you have, which is so weird. That is weird. Because I've tried to find it, and like even Google says you can't. There's it doesn't exist. Like you can't find how many subscribers you have. So then it's kind of like, well, what's really the point other than just you know on their end? Like only the subscribers get the benefit. The listener or the the creator doesn't get to see it. Well, guess what. What? Kelly, you have to do an episode on the witness protection program because I want to be all filled in on it. I don't care if you do think it's five minutes in a Google search. And if that doesn't happen in the next two episodes, I quit. <laughs> okay. I mean, that would really be the worst thing. So I guess we'll do that. Get into the episode. All right. So last week we left off with part one of this story. Do you remember Austin? Oh, yeah. The Moody Massacre. So, oh, hold on. Hold on. I got to say something real quick. Go for it. If you haven't listened to the Sherry Papini episode, last night I was thinking about that crazy bitch. Mm-hmm. Man. And I would have said crazy bitch if it was a guy, too. Sometimes I'd be like, don't team, man. Listen, 
She's nuts. I was just thinking about like. <laughs> Why were you thinking about? I it? don't know because well because she freaking said these two Mexican dudes took her and everything. She said two, two Mexican, Mexican women, women took her. her. And or, let's not tell in case people haven't listened. But I was just thinking of how freaking crazy and how much you have to commit to this crazy thing. I think like Gone Girl popped up on Hulu or something, oh. and so I thought of that and I was just like, man, she fully committed, and I felt so bad for her the whole story, yeah. all to have it just. Smack me in the face. Yeah. Go listen to that if you haven't listened to it because it's wild. That's one of the craziest ones. It is. It is crazy. And I feel like it's got one of the top listens in the recent episodes. Yeah, it has gotten a lot. Um, Yeah, I'm still... I'm still curious to see what's going to happen with that, if her husband's going to stay with her or not. I I know this sounds insensitive, but I don't don't really Don't give it away, though. Don't give it away. You're giving it away. I'm don't. Oh, jeez. Let's get into the show. Okay. Well, okay, you're the one that started it. Come so. back from last episode. What, I, I remember it was like a part one, but I don't remember anything that happened. Okay. So, yeah, if you haven't listened to it yet, you will be lost during this episode. So go listen to that first. But Oh, I, uh, sorry. Last interruption. I remember there was a million different characters, and it was so hard to follow. Because I remember you were talking about somebody getting cheated on, and then... You know, I really should have just had you listen to the episode before we recorded this, because you weren't paying hardly any attention when I was telling part one. You were just rocking back and forth in your chair, making noise, not paying any attention. It was pretty obvious. We so, until we got a lot of banter, and people are going to be like, too much banter. Part one ended up with us talking about the crime scene and how bizarre it was that the sheriff was so hasty to announce publicly that Scott was the killer in this murder-suicide, despite evidence pointing to his body appearing to be staged and multiple witnesses coming forward about a possible gray-haired man in a blue T-shirt being the shooter. Does that ring bells? I remember it all now. And and all the dead people in the house. Yeah, yeah. And the police are in on it somehow. The police have been really shady, and this, in part two, we're really going to get into that. So when we ended the episode, we had some big questions. Who was the real shooter? Who would have staged Scott, and why? So let's get into it. So after the sheriff announced that Scott was the shooter, a lot of people were completely stunned. They could not believe Scott did this. Many locals refused to believe it, and they started asking questions. And in an attempt to cover their ass, detectives went to Steve and Audrey's house. Remember, Steve Steve is um, Stacy and Scott's dad. Audrey is the stepmom, okay? Audrey is Steve's wife. Okay. So they go to their house shortly after Stacy came home from the hospital to try to get a statement from her. She had already said that she remembered seeing a gray-haired man in a blue shirt shoot her twice, right? She's already said this multiple times. And she seemed adamant that Scott did not do this. But detectives kept questioning her story and placing doubt in her mind. And in my opinion, I think detectives really wanted her to believe that Scott did this so they wouldn't have to retract their public statements about Scott because they just... They made it so hasty, but then it's also like, what else could they try to be covering up, right? It's hard to admit when you're wrong, especially in such a monumental way. I mean, you're you're calling someone a murderer, not just a a, a one-person murderer, but like a mass murderer. Um, so I think it would also raise questions as to who the shooter actually was, and that wasn't a question that the department was prepared or willing to answer. We'll get into that. But Detective John Stout, he is like the key player in this, okay? 
Detective John Stout became the closest with the family. He visited Stacy often. He was kind of at her parents' beck and call. And anytime they called him, he answered immediately. He spent a lot of time, one-on-one time with Stacy, trying to get her to like feel comfortable enough with him to possibly tap into her memories of the shooting. And Stacy, she still had issues with eating because she was a choking risk due to her injuries. Remember, she got shot in the neck. She got like crazy torn up. I can't believe she survived. I can't either. I really, really can't either. Um, But she did have issues with eating, um, and so she would have to take teeny tiny bites of her food, which, you know, took her exponentially longer to finish um, eating a meal, which made eating at school really hard for her. So sometimes Detective Stout would pick Stacy up from school and take her to lunch so that she could just eat in his car while they talked, and he could kind of watch her and Make sure she didn't choke. So the first time he picked her up for lunch, he planned on just taking her to like a local fast food place, but she insisted that they go to Red Lobster, which was like 30 miles away. This is weird. Kind of weird. It was already weird when you said she was getting picked up by this dude for lunch. Yeah, well, and this was with the permission from the parents, but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. if you If you start out with like a... With a sympathetic mind, you might think like, okay, yeah, this guy is just trying to help her. So I want you to kind of sit there for a second. But during the drive, Stout tried making conversation with Stacy. He asked her what kind of sports or activities she liked to play. But apparently he asked this more than just one time, and it kind of started annoying her. So she responded with something along the lines of, one of my favorite activities is giving head. Whoa. <laughs> Man, this, hold on, this went such a different direction than I expected. When you said she got annoyed with her asking questions, yesterday when you woke up, I said, how'd you sleep? You said, good. Then a little while later, I said, how'd you sleep? Because I wasn't listening the first time. And you said, good. Then a third time I I said, said. don't blast their speakers making me sound like a psycho. Then a third time I asked you how you slept, but I didn't mean like, I was trying to like the quality of your sleep. I knew when you woke up because of August and then you kind of snapped. This went a way kind of cooler direction. (laughs) It would have been cool if my conversation with multiple questions went that way, but it didn't. (laughs) It didn't because you were annoying me and you obviously didn't listen to my answers the first couple times you asked me. Anyway, I slept fine. So, yeah, she says she loves giving head. Who doesn't? (laughs) Right? So, anyway, this stunned Detective Stout, obviously. Your brother (laughs) listens to this podcast. (laughs) Just my brother, my aunt, my uncle. Oh, man. <laughs> Who else? I don't know. Anyway, um, this stunned Detective Stout, okay? But he responded by just smiling and, like, letting it go. He never told the parents about the comment she made. And this would have been a really perfect opportunity for De- Detective Stout to do the right thing. <laughs> but instead, he saw this as a different type of opportunity. Of course. And he didn't tell any of his supervisors or Stacy's parents. He just kind of put that comment in his pocket and saved it for later. Literally. Literally. So the next time he took her to lunch, they went to McDonald's and they parked at a nearby lake. And there was another car parked near them. And Detective Stout made a comment like, I bet we just ruined what they were doing. And then he grabbed some handcuffs that were in his car and handcuffed Stacy's wrist to the steering wheel. And Stacy was just taken aback by this and told him they hurt to please take him off. So he takes them off and asks her if she wants to drive. 
and he insists on her sitting on his lap to drive his cruiser. And Stacy told her friends that she could feel him getting a, quote, boner while she was sitting on his lap. And the reason I specifically say, quote, I was just wondering why you quoted this. Because this was her words. And it comes into play later when he completely denies that any of this happened. Um, And I don't know. I think it just goes to, like, the testament of a young girl. She's 15. She's she's teetering her 16th birthday. So some of these things happened before she turned 16 and some of them happened after. But it just goes to show you kind of like the immaturity, the mindset of such a young girl. But anyway, every time they met up, <clears throat> things would progress further and further. And they eventually ended up one night having sex in his vehicle. No way. This is ridiculous. This whole story's been nuts. Let me just remind you, and I'm sure I say this again later, but... He's like 30-something years old, and she's 15 or 16. So he's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. So this went on for a few months, from August to October, when one night, Stout calls Stacy at her house. And you know, back in the day, when you called someone's house, you could pick up any phone in the house and chime in or like listen in on the conversation. Mm-hmm. So Stacy answers the phone, and her stepmom, Audrey, picked it up at the same time. So she listened to their conversation without them knowing and overheard Detective Stout tell Stacy that his wife was going to be out of town that weekend and she could come spend the night at his house. Oh my gosh. Stacy told him her parents would never let her do that and he told her, just lie and say you're going to your friend Chrissy's house because Chrissy was her best friend. Audrey didn't say anything. She just quietly hung up the phone and began wondering how to handle this situation because this married 30-something-year-old lead detective on the case of the Moody murders is having this sexual affair with their daughter who just turned 16, is a victim of this shooting. So it's not like she can just go to the police department and tattle on one of their own. Like, she had to think this through, right? And it's horrible. Like, you're you're taking... The situation is just completely jacked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, this whole story, that's why I said, um, I think I was in one of our Instagram stories, I said, I cannot believe Dateline hasn't done a story on this. Like, there's no documentaries out on it. There's there's one that's like 28 minutes long, and it's kind of just an interview with Stacey, but it doesn't go in depth like this podcast is. I cannot believe there's not more on television about it. Well, it's so freaking convoluted. It would be such a long episode. It would, but it's, I mean, God, it's just so interesting. It's worth it, I think. But anyway, so Audrey ended up going to the attorney general's office in Columbus, Ohio, and she files a complaint against the Logan County Sheriff's Office, specifically their detective, John Stout, and he ends up getting put on administrative leave. So Stout had to testify in front of a grand jury in January of 2006. This is less than a year after the shooting happened. So meanwhile, you've got this shooting which is a whole case in and of itself. And then you've got this side Pedophile case. Yes. Which is a whole other case in itself. Yes. And it's all happening within the same year. What a nightmare. So during his testimony, he painted Stacy as a liar, of course, and made it sound like her parents, Steve and Audrey, were quick to accuse anybody of being inappropriate with Stacy, but also reminded jurors that they were very persistent in getting Stout to spend time with Stacy in hopes of getting more details about the shooting. Like, they would often call him and say things like, she's starting to open up more. I think you need to come over and talk to her. Like, 
so he he wanted to remind the jurors that like his her parents really trusted him. Why would they trust him if he was such a bad guy? But obviously they didn't know what was really going on. I just gotta say for my own conscience mm-hmm. and for the record, when when you made the comment she said about I like giving head, I turned that into a joke. I didn't realize I forgot that the chick was like fifteen or sixteen. That's like yeah. what. Yeah, well, you're obviously joking in reference to me, not a 15 yeah, or 16-year-old, but yeah, sick. So, um, Kelly's my wife, <laughs> in case you didn't know. <laughs> oh my God, Austin. All right, so anyway, back to his uh, testimony. So during this whole testimony, he takes zero accountability he denies any inappropriate relationship with Stacy, and he even goes as far as to bring up Stacy's promiscuity as a teen. Like this girl who has she has just been through the most horrific event fathomable, okay? Not just anything that anybody ever goes through. Like this girl was just the victim of a shooting in which her closest family members were all shot and killed, and she was almost killed too. And he has the audacity to not only call her a liar, but then bring up some of her rumored past with men. Like, what What an asshole. So he also describes why he thinks he's being set up in all this because he feels as if he is the victim here. And he repeatedly says, like, why is this happening to me? I have a feeling I know why this is happening to me. Like, he keeps saying those words, this is happening to me. Complete narcissist. So his theory is this. Detective Stout was the lead investigator on another high-profile case, which was involving a very wealthy man named Joe Rosebrook. So apparently law enforcement officers suspected since the early 80s that Joe Rosebrook ran a vehicle chop shop, one that national insurance fraud and vehicle theft experts have said became one of the most prolific and well-organized of its kind. He became so enthralled in this operation that he even attempted to hire a hitman to kill someone for him. I assume someone that threatened his livelihood. I don't know. But this guy could honestly have an episode of his own. And so for the sake of this episode, that's all I'm really going to touch on Joe's, Joe Rosebrook's story. I just wanted to get, I wanted you to get a feel for like what type of guy he is, right? He's a bad guy. So He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. So Detective Stout was instrumental in finally getting Joe Rosebrook behind bars. So Stout believed that Joe was seeking revenge on Stout and that he was using Stacy and her family to get that revenge. And he told jurors that he believed this was just all a setup. But more than that, he believed that Stacy's family was in on it too. Because you see, since Stacy was the only survivor in the shooting, Wilma's whole estate was supposed to go to her. Remember how her whole estate was like mm-hmm. such a mess. She was trying to control it. Yes, and like control where it all went and whatever. Well, with Scott being named as the shooter, the money that would have gone to Scott's estate was going to have to go to the victims, or at least we can assume that it would have to go to the victims if they filed wrongful death lawsuits and sue for a portion of Scott's estate. Like you can just kind of expect that that's the next thing to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> If Stacy told investigators that Scott was the shooter and detectives believed Scott was the shooter, Stacy would get nothing from Scott's half of the estate, and then her dad and stepmom wouldn't have any access to that portion either. So Stout believed that her family was trying to coerce her into saying it actually wasn't him. 
but with Stout insisting Scott was the shooter and trying to get that out of Stacy, he believed her parents were in on this whole Joe Rosebrook theory to get Stout out of the picture. He believes that they kind of like teamed up, like, hey, you need something because of Stout. I need something out of Stout. Like, let's work together to just eliminate him, right? Can I st- Does that make I st- sense? No, I get what you're saying. But I guess what I think is like, so I think the word narcissist gets thrown around um, a lot without people knowing like the true meaning of it. Like really knowing a For true sure. narcissist. Yeah. This is to me a true narcissist. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who has literally altered their reality to everything is like conspired against me and, and everything's about me. When in reality, the guy was having sex with a 15-year-old. Yeah. But he's completely forgotten about that and thrown all this. He has this whole movie in his head of how everybody's conspiring against him and I'm not a dirtbag. Right. It's like this way more complicated version of reality than the simple version of reality, which is just that you're a dirtbag. Yeah. And you're a pedophile. Which is which I think is like the common state of most narcissists because I agree. Yeah. I think the term gets thrown around, especially in social media. And now like you have this whole craze on like mental illness and... And listen, I think men- mental illness is a real thing, but sure. I think social media has been a bit of a disservice to it because now everybody thinks they know what a narcissist is and everyone thinks they know what bipolar is and all these things. When in reality, like, there are narcissists and they do absolutely exist, but like, I think people throw around the term a lot and it gets, it loses its oomph. But well, right? it loses what a real narcissist is. Exactly. And like, yeah, social media, social media makes victimhood a cool thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I have it harder than you have it. Like, people are debating for that. And then narcissism, people think like, Everybody mistakes something for arrogance, and then the second somebody's, they think somebody's arrogant, they deem them arrogant, they deem them a narcissist. Or and, even a little bit selfish. If like your yeah. ex-boyfriend is a little selfish, or if your ex-boyfriend cheated on you and dumped you, like he's a narcissist. Like, no, he just, he broke up with you. But like, look up what a sometimes real... Sometimes that is the case. Yeah. And until like, until I knew somebody who was dealing with a real narcissist, and they were like... Austin, go on YouTube. He, they were like, I, I watched this doctor on YouTube that talks about how to deal with a narcissist. And like, if you YouTube it, you'll find this guy that's real prominent, how to deal with a narcissist. But a narcissist is a very, um, like, dark person to deal with. And it's like a real thing. Mm-hmm. And this guy sounds like he's a real narcissist. Yeah, I don't know. 100%. Not trying to get too off track, but. No, but I think it's worth saying. Honestly, I do. So, so I agree. But yeah, he created this entire like reality that, oh, all these people are just out to get me and I'm a victim. And that's just so not the reality of what happened. So anyway, I hope, I hope the way I explained like his theory made sense. Um, but ultimately, I think at the end of the day, he believed that they were trying to discredit him by making him look like a child molester. Um, it would be revenge for Joe Rosebrook to get him behind bars. And then it would be... Um, worth it to Audrey and Steve and Stacy, I guess, to discredit him because then who would believe him as a detective on this murder case? Like he would lose credibility and then th- maybe they could convince people Scott was not the shooter. Mm-hmm. But since Stacy would not testify against Stout, the prosecutor agreed to dismiss certain charges in return for Stout pleading guilty to one count of attempted child endangering a second degree misdemeanor. So in May of 2008, Judge David Faulkner sentenced Stout to 90 days in jail, one year of probation, and a $250 fine. (laughs) However, John was able to get his record expunged just a few months later. 
So that's kind of the end of that part. But meanwhile, back at the farm, okay, the land and the properties on the farm, they're all going into disrepair with nobody taking care of it. And the probate judge decided to order the sale of Wilma's farm and all the rental properties, effectively ending the legacy Wilma worked so hard to build and maintain and protect, which is really a bummer. Mm -hmm. But... They all ended up getting auctioned off with the cash intended to go to Stacy Moody. However, Paige Harshbargers, who was one of the victims, I think the, uh, Paige is actually Scott's girlfriend at the time. So anyway, Paige's dad fought for a piece of what would have gone to Scott since his daughter was allegedly killed by Scott, right? Mm -hmm. So Scott's dad, Steve, fought back with two arguments. The first was that he didn't believe Scott was the shooter, and he hired experts to review all the evidence, but regardless... Scott was never actually convicted, important word, convicted of anything. So that technicality worked in his favor. And second, Paige's dad filed the wrongful death suit more than six months after the shooting, which was outside the statute of limitations. He was simply out of time. They went back and forth filing appeals and suits against each other before they finally went in um, in front of a judge with their lawyers in tow, and the judge quickly shut it down before he even let anyone give their argument. He declared, Steve's right. Paige's dad waited too long to file. He was outside outside the statute of limitations, and the case was dismissed. So the victim's family has got nothing, which is really sad. I, I can sympathize with the heartbreak they feel having lost their daughter, but I can also sympathize with the fact that I don't believe Scott was the shooter and they were going after the wrong person. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. So the question still remains, if not Scott, who? Scott never appeared to really have a motive just to snap and kill his grandparents, mom, two friends, and almost his sister. He didn't have any of the telltale signs of a rampage killer. Nobody who knew him really believed he was capable of this. And the evidence pointed not only to an experienced shooter, but to the fact that Scott was dragged towards the end of his bed after he was shot. So who stood to gain from shooting these people and staging it to look like Scott? Well, we've covered how one of the, de one of the department's own detectives, John Stout, acted inappropriately with Stacy. And this apparently didn't come out until after the shootings, right? Well... The day before the shootings, Austin, on Saturday, May 28th of 2005, when everyone was out celebrating those graduation parties, the Logan County Sheriff's Office received a phone call. One of the deputies answered and took a message since the call was intended for Sheriff Henry, but he was not there. After hanging up, this deputy went into the break room and told some of the other deputies, quote, boy, you're not going to believe that phone call. Some farmer out on 47 wants to see Sheriff Henry right away. Said he's pissed. He just found out that you lowly road warriors have been out at the high school having sex with his granddaughter and her friends, threatening to arrest those girls unless they went along with it. End quote. The man who called was Gary Schaefer. Gary Schaefer was Stacy's grandpa, the one that was killed. Mm -hmm. And he was about to blow wide open the disruption going on within the police department. And it is my personal opinion, along with many others, that someone within the department felt that they had to put a stop to this before a lot of them lost their jobs, their families, and their reputations. No way. I have goosebumps. Do you? <laughs> yes, 
I really do. You have the goosebumps. I have the goosebumps. See him? You do. I really do. Because this makes a lot of sense. So during this same time. Man, this is the first time you've gotten the goosebumps. Did you not get them? No. Well, that's a bummer. (laughs) Anyway. This more so pissed me off thinking about the whole situation. Yeah. But to know that that call came in the day before it happened, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty crazy. So during this same time, a colonel in the department, Keith LeVan, got busted for inappropriate behavior as well. And the newspaper ran an article about what happened. And this is more just kind of like (sighs) ironic. And I think there's a little bit of comedy to it without, I don't know, I I teeter saying that because I don't want it to sound like inappropriate because what happened is inappropriate. But it's just like, it's laughable to think like, of course, of course this happened. Okay, so anyway, what happened was he was caught on camera cheating on his wife as he hooked up with this babysitter while she was babysitting for another family in the area. And I don't know how old the babysitter was, okay? I You hear babysitter and you assume someone young, so I think that's fair, but I don't know how old she was. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the parents had a nanny cam set up in their home. And when they reviewed the tapes from their night out, they watched as Colonel Keith Levan walked into their home in full uniform. And they're like, what the heck is a cop doing in our in our house? Like, what? So at first they're like confused as to why he's there. And then he starts hooking up with the babysitter literally on the living room couch, like has sex with her on the couch. And they're watching the whole thing on their nanny cam. So Keith ended up getting punished with a two-week suspension without pay. That was it? That was it. So obviously she wasn't underage. I would I would think not, but I mean it. I don't know because it's all been corrupt seen, so far. Exactly, and we've seen how how you know John Stout got essentially a slap on the wrist for someone we know was underage. So I don't know, but I do know that many of the men in this particular office have got some really disappointing ethics and morals. Even with this evidence of corruption within the Logan County Sheriff's Department. The FBI would only get involved in this case, as far as the Moody murder case, would only get involved if their help was requested by the state's law enforcement. But of course, they're not going to reach out to the FBI to investigate one of their own employees of murdering five, almost six people. And the Ohio Attorney General's office wouldn't get involved because they said there wasn't enough evidence to entertain the possibility of another shooter, which is ridiculous to me. And it sounds kind of reminiscent of Ellen Greenberg's case, which we covered in episode 85. Ellen was the one who allegedly killed herself by stabbing herself 20 times. Oh, yeah. And the evidence was so... Like, Common sense. Yes. And yet the attorney general's office still refused to take it on and Mm -hmm. reopen the case. Uh, Anyway... It blows my mind. Like, what is the point of their office if not to bring justice when it is so obviously unserved or underserved? Like, what's your job then? Mm-hmm. So, Stow ultimately reached a settlement equal to three years' salary with then Sheriff Michael Henry and the Logan County Sheriff's Office in return for um, like $135,000 paid out over several payments to resign his position. And he was never allowed to seek employment with the Logan County Sheriff's Office again. So he lost his job. Big deal. 
Stacy ended up finding her faith and she got really involved with her faith. She went on to attend Midwestern Bible College, completing her bachelor's degree. While she was enrolled in school, she waited tables in a coffee shop and she worked in the school's bursar's office as a file clerk before she met the love of her life. Now she's married, she has two young boys, and she and her family live in a rural town in western Pennsylvania. She no longer has any contact with like former friends or family in Bell Fountain, and she is estranged from her father and stepmother. Um, she also, she does seem to have a scar on her cheek, like in pictures, but she's still just as beautiful as she was when she was 15. I kind of creeped on her on Facebook. Sorry, Stacy, if you're listening to this. I doubt you are, but you're gorgeous. <laughs> she's very pretty. She seems very happy. She seems like she's really come out on the good, the positive side of all this. That's awesome. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is Scott's legacy. So, you know, when I first heard about this case, I, of course, Googled it just to kind of get a quick rundown of what happened, right? And the pictures, when you when you Google Moody Massacres, Scott's picture pops up and you automatically, or at least I automatically assumed that he was the shooter and he just went on this rampage and that maybe it was similar to that wife swap murder where the son really did snap and kill his whole family or or most of his family. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be reminiscent of that story and I was totally wrong. And I, I feel like a lot of people probably have that assumption uh, when they, when they look up this case or when they hear about it, I think the sheriff's office did such a profound disservice to Scott's legacy because he is now gone. And in a lot of people's eyes, he is the murderer of this family. And a lot of people who don't take the time to read about this story and find out the the facts of it, he is painted as a murderer. I feel like that is just so unfair that his legacy is going to be painted like that. When in reality, what I think happened was someone went in with a silencer on their gun and shot them all while they were sleeping because it appeared that everybody that died was still in the position that they were sleeping in. So I think he was attacked in his sleep, him and his girlfriend and her friend, Megan Karras and Sherry Kay and Gary and Gary and Cheryl were, uh, were up and in their kitchen. They weren't asleep, but I think they were all ambushed and I don't think it was by Scott. So I just want to put that out there. I, you know, Eventually, someday, I hope our podcast gets, you know, millions of listens, right? That's the goal, right? So I hope that someday this helps repair some of Scott's legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, this That's is all we've got. Like such a disappointing ending. I know, um, because no justice was ever brought to anybody in mm-hmm. this story. Not one single person. And that department just lives on mm-hmm. to be them. Yeah, and um, so I had mentioned in the first episode that... Rob St. Clair wrote a book called Saving Stacy, and it's about this whole case. That's where I got the bulk of my information was from reading that book. He also wrote another book on the murder of Daniel Ott, which was another, um, that's the case that ties in Joe Rosebrook. So another another story of corruption and crime in this small area. And who is that author? Who is that, like? Rob St. Clair. What's it, does he just do it because he likes crime, or does he have ties to this? Well, he's an, an attorney from the area, from what I understand. Got it. So he, yeah, he he goes through, I mean, he has spent hundreds of hours going through all the reports and paperwork and transcripts of this case. So I assume he did the same for the Ott murders, but I haven't read that book. So 
Interesting. Anyway, if you would like more information on this story, I highly recommend that book. It tells you literally absolutely everything you need to know. As for who we think the actual shooter was, we don't have like a name of who, but you can just assume, or I assumed anyway, speculate, whatever, that it was someone with ties to the sheriff's department. That's Mm. my guess. My opinion. Don't come at me. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.